Welcome back to the Unison Church Podcast. Uh, today we've got a great episode planned, something a little different. So hopefully you've been uh, tracking with us so far uh, as we've discussed lots of different things already on this podcast. And so today I'm here with a very special guest, my sister, Megan Delella, And uh, she is going to be talking to us about a lot of cool things. But uh, to start us off, um, we'll have her give a, an introduction and you know, her interaction with the church like we usually do. Um, but also wrapped up in that she just got married. And so I'll have you say what your favorite part of being married is as well. Yes, of course. Hi, guys. Um, so my favorite part about being married is probably that you have a built-in best friend. Like, it's just so great always having somebody just kind of on your side who's always there. Um, somebody that, like, you always have someone to go home with, like, it's just great. Married life is awesome. That's awesome. Tell us about your interaction with the church up to this point. Yeah, of course. Uh, so like you, <laughs> I was raised in the church, uh, pretty much in diapers, um, being put in the church. Always super comfortable uh, in the church. Like uh, Pond Hill was always my second home. Um, and so I've always been comfortable. I always loved like scripture, reading the Bible learning about God um, has always been a connection, especially like growing up, I was super anxious. And so something that really gave me stability was having faith in God. And so that has basically, you know, been my experience just growing up in the church um, and then also going to Baptist Bible College, just really continuing my faith journey, you know, with God. Yeah. And when you were there, you studied um, clinical psychology, right? Yes. Or clinical, yeah. Clinical counseling. Got it. A little bit different. The psychologist will get upset if you say That's that. That's true. That's <laughs> very true. Yeah. And you got your master's there. Yes. I got my master's there. Um, and I became a crisis counselor, which is something I always said I would never do. I never wanted to do crisis, suicide work. Um, but, you know, God just drew me in. I worked at a crisis text line and really had like a heart for people. And that's what made me start working at United Way, which is um, United Way 211, mm -hmm. which a lot of people like connect that with like housing. But I work on the crisis line. I work with the 98 Lifeline. Basically, any of the crisis lines you call, I would be working with them. Cool. Cool. That's awesome. So uh, recently, you started a little side thing as well. Um, that you're calling Create and Fullness. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, of course. Um, so I am a small business owner. I own a little store on Etsy called Create and Fullness where we sell um, rosaries, anything that will push you to prayer is what we sell. Um, my emphasis is rosaries. I am a new Catholic, which we can talk about a little bit later. Mm -hmm. um, but something that really drew me in was rosaries. And so I create rosaries. I do stickers. I do be just basically anything that you'll see on everyday life that will just push you to prayer. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So like you said, like you mentioned, this this venture is largely birthed out of your, um, I don't even know what you would call it. I feel like conversion is not the correct word for it, <laughs> but you're maybe moved towards um, Catholicism. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, of course. Um, so I would say it's a conversion, even though that sounds like intense. I call myself a convert, uh, convert Catholic. That's my Instagram bio name. Oh, okay. As convert Catholic and my page is create in fullness. Um, but yeah, I converted um, something that really drew me in was actually my now husband. I met him, and we met at Chick-fil-A. The best place to meet somebody that's a Christian is Chick-fil-A. Sure. <laughs> um, but we met at Chick-fil-A, and I could tell, like, there was something different about him. And so I knew he, like, was religious. Like, sometimes as Christians, we can just, like, look at people and tell, like, oh, there's something, like, different. Hmm. Um, and so we met and I like was like, oh, what church do you go to? And he said the Church of the Resurrection. And I knew, you know, growing up in this area, I knew that was a Catholic church. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, like this guy's Catholic. Like, no way I can't like be with him. Um, and so he was basically like, how about we like 
go to each other's churches and we see how we like them. Mm -hmm. So first I went to his church, which was the Catholic church. Um, And I remember not telling my parents because I was like, they can't know that I'm going to a Catholic church. (laughs) Um, And, you know, growing up, like we were basically told that Catholics were idolaters. They uh, were basically everything that they were doing in their religion was wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was very afraid to tell them anything about it. Um, so I just, you know, went to church and I remember walking in and like shaking and I was praying to God and I was like, Lord, like, please forgive me. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to a Catholic church, but I feel like I need to do this. I want to try it out. Plus like, there's this really cute guy that I want to get to know. And so I remember just like, honestly, like having a moment with God and being like, this is so scary. But there was also like, uh, a moment when we were at the church where we sat down And there was like a peace that came over me. Mm -hmm. For those that um, are from this area that go and have seen Church of the Resurrection, it's a very modernized church. So there's no like statues when you walk into it, which was like a huge thing for me. Because if I had seen statues, that would be like, I think I would have been like afraid. Because that was another thing like we were taught is like they worship idols especially statues, like anything with Mother Mary, I was like, no. Sure. Um, And so, you know, walking in and not seeing that, I think really helps me. And then I just remember the part where they were holding up the Eucharist. And it's so, it's like hard to explain, but I can like picture like God's hands, like almost like touching the cup. And that was the first time I ever, like, had experienced, like, oh, my goodness, like, this is something more than what I had always believed it to be. Sure. Um, Because growing up, we believe that it's a symbol. You know, the Eucharist doesn't actually become the body and the blood of Jesus. And so actually, like, kind of seeing how a Catholic service does this um, and then also, like, almost having, like, a weird revelation of seeing, like, Jesus's fingers, like, touching the cup Like, it was just like, I don't know. At the time, I thought it was so weird. But now, like, I see it as, like, Jesus giving me a revelation of, you know, what he wanted me to see. Yeah. And so that's what drew me in. It was a long, (laughs) I feel like it was long. I mean, it wasn't super long. It was a few years um, of, like, studying scripture to really help convince me about the Catholic Church. Right, right. But it was a hard process. I had a lot of hard conversations with a lot of people, Mm -hmm. a lot of tears. Sure. (laughs) But we got here, and I'm happy to be Catholic. Yeah, cool. So if I were to summarize, it would be cute guys and the Eucharist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's pretty accurate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, I think for context, too, like our, our family in particular, at least my mother's side of the family, you know, off-the-boat Italian and first-generation Irish-American, they came from, like, very Catholic roots. Mm -hmm. And then they, like, converted out of Catholicism to a more, like, evangelical faith, right? So so there was some, like, family history stuff, I think, going on there, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember, like, um, my grandfather, who we call Papa, he had a really hard time with it just because... Like, he he was raised Catholic. And then we also had, like, a lot of people that, like, went to this church that were also, like, they were Catholic, you know, but now they came back to Pond Hill. And so they were kind of like, I've been there, I've done that, you know, like, you don't understand what you're getting into. This is false, like, false doctrine. Sure. So it was hard. It was hard having a conversation with people that I spiritually looked up to and, like, relied on. And I had to kind of, like, make my own decision and be like, nope, I think this is the right way to go. Sure, sure. Yeah, this is two Catholics in a row now uh, on my podcast. And um, interestingly enough, uh, the the my previous guest was is from the South, where it's kind of flipped. Um, hmm. Because in the South, Catholics are very much the Christian minority. And, um, you know, Southern Baptists or other similar, like, evangelical uh, veins kind of are the predominant like Christian presence there. Mm-hmm. Whereas here in the North, it's certainly less Christian in general, but like once you get into, 
you know, people that profess to be Christians, the vast majority of Christians here are, are Catholic, um, and mostly nominally so, though, mostly not practicing. But, mm-hmm. but um, so it's interesting, you know, you have that as well. So, like, my church is, is yeah, we're, like, filled with deconverted Catholics, I suppose. Like, uh, many people in our church uh, come from that from mm-hmm. that vein. But again, I think it's so, it's such like a nominal Catholicism, you know, that, that most of these people held to. Mm-hmm. There's really yeah. just something they wrote on, you know, papers when asked. Not beyond that, it didn't really, I don't think meant a lot to, to, to most of the people in my church, but with some exceptions. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point too, because like there's a lot of uh, Catholicism is like with your culture, like mm-hmm. we were talking about before with even our family. And when it becomes something that's just like a part of like your culture, sometimes people just focus on the ritual aspect and not like the actual worship part. And so that's why it was kind of cool, like coming into Catholicism, because these are things like I had never like seen, never knew of, and just like kind of transitioning in and seeing these things for the first time. It's like, wow, this is so beautiful. Like this is such a beautiful worship. Yeah. Kind of the cornerstone of your um, create and fullness business is rosary. So tell me a little bit about that because that's something really I'm not very familiar with at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, so I was really drawn to repetitive prayer, uh, which is actually something that I was told for a long time is wrong. Um, there's a Bible verse. I'm sure you know it, but I can't. Yeah, the remember. whole like vain repetition thing. Yeah. Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. So I was basically like raised like you don't repeat your prayer. It becomes like basically like pointless sure. if you're repeating it and it's just like a ritual. And um, but this is something I actually found a lot of comfort in is like repeating like certain phrases in the Bible. It's actually something like I used to do when I was in college is just repeat kind of the same phrase. And that brought me a lot of peace, mm-hmm. just repeating the same thing, kind of meditating and dwelling on that phrase. And it's kind of cool because scripture has an amazing way of just like when you repeat something, you figure out something like new about it. I don't sure. know if you've ever had that experience too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But it's definitely a really cool way of just focusing on one thing and then allowing God to like show you what's important. And so I find a lot of comfort in repetitive prayer. And that's basically what the rosary is, is you're repeating certain prayers, which is the Lord's prayer, the Hail Mary prayers. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you're repeating the phrases and both of those are actually found in scripture. So you're really repeating scripture, Mm -hmm. but like dwelling on certain things that God is showing to you. Sure. So it's really cool. There's a lot of, you know, specific things that we can talk about with it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess a note on the vain, vain repetition thing. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know that you can say this of the New Testament, but much of the Old Testament was written for the purpose of being repeated. Mm-hmm. Um, you think of something like the Psalms of Ascent in the Book of Psalms were essentially almost like worship songs where they were more like probably chants than they were, than they were songs, but they were designed that the Hebrew people, as they ascended to the temple, um, they would be saying these prayers. And, you know, in pre enlightenment time, the, the way that you would meditate on scripture because you couldn't read it was to memorize mm-hmm. certain things and repeat and, and continue to do that. And, you know, you think of like in the rabbinical tradition, you had to memorize the Pentateuch, and of course, in order to memorize that, you'd be repeating it a lot. And uh, so, so yeah, that when Jesus talks about vain repetitions in the Sermon on the Mount, and then of course gives us the example of how to pray, he's certainly not talking about just repeating prayers. I would say vain probably does a whole lot of work in, in that particular verse. Yeah. Because it's like, are you, because what he's condemning there is the Pharisees sort of making a show of prayer. Um, and I think that's, that's the, that's the issues with, with that statement is that the Pharisees weren't praying to pray. They were praying to like make a show of it. And so it was 
by nature worthless or vain or you know mm -hmm. whatever your translation says so i think that's um i think that's probably what jesus is condemning more so than than repetitive prayer i mean i i like to think of the um the bible project often will say the same thing and i really like this particular way of thinking about scripture especially in the old testament is that it's meditation literature, so it's Hebrew meditation literature. So it's designed to be read and reread and repeated and memorized and, you know, continue to keep going back to it over and over because it, it reveals new things. Right. Um, that's why people can make whole careers of just studying, you know, one small part of the scriptures and still continually get new stuff from it. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, no, I think, I think um, re you know, repetitive prayers, especially those that are found in the Bible, I don't think there's anything really... Uh, wrong with that but i do think we have to you know be careful about our intention of prayer mm -hmm. and um you know make it something that's worthwhile that we're actually talking to uh talking to the lord when we do it um, yeah i think that's what jesus is getting at not absolutely not not that you can't repeat prayers that's kind of silly oh absolutely i mean you know now being an adult and rereading that you're just like well this is not at all what <laughs> what it was what i thought it was in my head and what i you know was taught that it was Sure. Um, but that's a really good point, you know, that you brought up, too, is that a lot of people didn't have the Bible. And so, like, you know, sometimes when they would read it, they would have to memorize it. And in order mm -hmm. to memorize something, you have to repeat it. Right. And that's kind of how the rosary came to be is that they were just, you know, repeating phrases. Right. Uh, and they became prayers. And then over time, it actually, they became like beads that they would, you know, count and they would use to pray. And so that's kind of slowly how the rosary slowly came to be. Right, right. What are some of the prayers or phrases that are involved in the rosary? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the main one is the Hail Mary prayer, which that's Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Okay. And that, that scares a lot of people because in the beginning it says Hail Mary. Sure. Um, but this is actually something that is straight through Scripture. This is what the angel said mm -hmm. when, you know, they first told, Gabriel first told Mother Mary that she had Jesus in her womb. Mm -hmm. And that's something I didn't realize <laughs> until I became Catholic because whenever we hear something like hail we're always like like kind of freaked out by that like we don't hail somebody like that but hail you know it doesn't mean like worship mm -hmm. it was a greeting that the angel was using sure yep and so that is the main one the other one is the our father prayer mm -hmm. um, which we talked about earlier right. um, and then there is um, also the glory be prayer, which is something that, uh, we say in the beginning of mass. Okay. Um, and it just talks about the glory be to the father, to the son. Um, and you know, it's a recognition of the Trinity, sure. who God is. Um, and that's how we start the rosary. So cool. it's three main prayers. Got it. So like if, if you would say like if anybody, let's say there's, you know, any like hundreds of thousands of people that are praying the rosary today, mm -hmm. do you think they're all going to start with those three? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then what happens after that? Is it kind of like you get to pick which ones you do after that? Or <laughs> So here I have one in my pocket. I know viewers aren't going to be able to see this, but I'll try to kind of explain it to you. Sure. Um, so this is one of the rosaries I made right at the bottom. It has the cross. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will start by saying um, their Apostles' Creed. Okay. And so that's what we believe as a Catholic church. Sure. Actually, most churches that believe in God would believe everything that's in the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, some people are. It would even, like, have that in their church constitution that, like, we affirm mm -hmm. the Apostles' Creed or whatever. Yes. Yeah. And this is so cool that the Catholic Church does this because I'm sure you heard, like, growing up in the church, they always say you need, like, a minute speech of what you would say to somebody to explain, like, what you believe. Sure. That's what the Apostles' Creed is. True. So everybody that's Catholic, we recite the Apostles' Creed when we go to church together. Um, and if you're praying the rosary, that's how you start off the rosary. Mm-hmm. So you say kind of what you believe, the Apostles' Creed. Then the big beads are the Our Fathers. Okay. The smaller the Hail Marys. Got it. Okay. So then you do Our Father, 
Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, uh-huh. our Father. Yep. Then once you get to here, you say the glory be. Okay. And then all of the small beads, again, are the Hail Marys. Okay. Big beads are our fathers. Got it. Okay. Okay. And so it goes around. There's five sections. We call these mysteries. Okay. So this is what a lot of people do not understand about the rosary is it's not about Mother Mary, but it's actually about Jesus and his life with Mother Mary. Sure. So it's kind of through the perspective. It's almost like we're looking through her eyes as she watches Jesus grow up. Okay. So I wrote the specific um, mysteries down just so I wouldn't misquote them. Sure. Um, But this was actually created. So the rosary took a while for the church actually to accept the rosary as a practice, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that happens often in the Catholic church um, because it becomes tradition. Right. So this is like a long process. If we're reintroducing something into tradition, it doesn't take like five seconds. It takes like years. Yeah, like generations, right? Right, like generations. Um, But Pope John II, who's my favorite pope, (laughs) um, he did a lot of really amazing things. But one of the things that he did was pass through the rosary. And so in the rosary, he created the five mysteries of it. So that's why it kind of looks like a necklace connected Mm -hmm. and then kind of like a drop down cross. Right. The first mystery, which is like the first half of this, is Mm -hmm. the joyful mystery. Okay. So this is the Annunciation. That's when the angel comes to Gabriel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, the angel Gabriel announces yeah. to Mary right, right. that she will conceive Jesus. It also is the visitation when she visits her cousin Elizabeth. Okay. The nativity, the birth of Jesus. Mm-hmm. The presentation, Mary and Joseph presents Jesus in the temple. Okay. And then the finding in the temple when he's 12 years old. Okay. Okay, so that's a lot that you're thinking about. So if you're thinking about that, what are you like saying when you're thinking about that? Are you because you because you mentioned like there's essentially a group of three beads, Mm -hmm. and then on the your particular example, there's three blue ones and then a white one, Mm -hmm. and it's the three blue ones are smaller and then the white one is a little bigger. Yes. Um, Are you doing? Are you still saying the same like Hail Mary for the blue ones, Mm -hmm. and then the white one is the the Our Father? Yes. Yeah. So So you're saying the same thing, but you're kind of focusing. Right. Internally on... You're meditating on what the scripture is saying. Got it. Okay. So like a lot of times people will say like um, in the beginning, they'll say um, the Annunciation. You know, they'll think about like how scary it must have been that Mother Mary was like sleeping and an angel came to her. Sure. And we know she was afraid because the angel said, don't fear. Sure. So you think about, you know, the Annunciation, then you say, Hail Mary, full of grace. Yeah, right. So then you go through that okay. line. A lot of people will just focus on one mystery at a time. Okay. And that is actually why I designed like the wraparound rosary. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen those, but it's a bracelet that wraps around. Yeah. So that you can just focus on one mystery, move the charm, and then go to the next mystery. Got you. Because it's a lot. It's a lot that you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, most true Catholics would say try to pray the full rosary the every thing. day. Sure. Um, but it does take about 30 minutes to pray the whole rosary. Yeah, I bet. Yes. Okay, so the second mystery is the sorrowful mystery. So this is the agony in the garden when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. This is um, the crowning of the thorns when Jesus um, had the crown of thorns on his head. Okay. Uh, the carrying of the cross and the crucifixion. Sure. So it goes from birth mm-hmm. to crucifixion. Okay. Which is a huge, there's so much that you're thinking about through this, you know? Yeah. And a lot of people even, you know, take it one day, one beat at a time too. Like you can focus on a mystery for a whole week yeah. and really like study through that and just focus and meditate on that. And I found... Even within, you know, focusing on like the sorrowful mysteries is that there's so much to unpack about Jesus's death. Right. And it's so like sad that he, I mean, it's amazing that he did that for us, but it's so sad that he, he had to. Right. Um, so that is the sorrowful mystery. Now the next is the glorious mystery. This is the resurrection, the ascension. And when the Holy Spirit comes. 
Cool. So the fourth one is the luminous mystery. This is the baptism in the Jordan when Jesus was baptized with John the Baptist. Okay. The proclamation of the kingdom when Jesus calls for repentance. Mm -hmm. And the transfiguration when Jesus is transfigured and appears to Moses and Elijah on the mountain. And then the last one is the Eucharist. So focusing on how Jesus humbles himself into a small little cracker because he wants to be a part of us. Mm-hmm. And so you're focusing on, you know, all of these different aspects and yeah. really trying to understand the emotions that are going through Jesus's, Jesus's head because, you know, we have similar emotions than he does. Right. That's something so cool is that, like, he became human. You know, he, he actually felt the same exact things that we felt. Right. And so there's so much to unpack. And, you know, as I said to you at the beginning, I've only been Catholic for a year. So there's so much to learn. And, you know, it's just so amazing that the more that you study, the more things that you you can understand just about scripture, about tradition, why we do the things that we do. Yeah, that's awesome. So if I could summarize a little bit, you essentially you have, um, you know, a, a necklace or essentially a loop that has five sections mm-hmm. and then one that hangs down with a cross on it. So you start at the cross you do the Apostles' Creed, and then you have the Lord's Prayer, three Hail Marys and the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. right? And then as you go around, you have the five you saw mysteries, right? Mm-hmm. And the five mysteries are each, you're supposed to be meditating on a different part of the gospel, essentially, starting with the Annunciation, mm-hmm. which covers Mary and her visit with Elizabeth as well. Mm-hmm. Then you go... This is like a pop quiz I'm doing on myself. Uh, <laughs> then you talk about the crucifixion, mm-hmm. right? Um, okay. And then the next one is the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like to think about it. Like when it's hanging, the yeah. top one is the resurrection. Is the resurrection. So okay. Points up. Cool. And the, the next one would be, is it is, resur- is Holy Spirit with the resurrection or is Holy Spirit with the baptism? Next one. The next one is the Holy Spirit. Next one is the Holy Spirit. And that also talks about baptism, mm-hmm. right? And then the fifth one is the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So essentially, as you're praying the rosary, you're kind of getting like the fundamentals yeah, of exactly. Catholicism, but not even just Catholicism, like just, just generically the gospel mm-hmm. as, as well, because that's essentially, you know, the things that Jesus passed on to his, his people to continue would be obviously knowing about the first three, which is just about the gospel and then baptism and the Eucharist. So that's, that's pretty cool. And so, but as you're doing those, you're saying the same prayers, but they're supposed to be prompting in your mind and uh, spirit to be meditating on those aspects of the gospel. Exactly. And I think that's, what's so important. Like when Jesus says meditate on the scriptures, I think this is exactly the kinds of things that he's talking about because like we've all been there, you know, when you're popcorn praying and you're like, okay, what am I going to say? What is the perfect thing to say? Or even like in my own devotions when I'm like, Lord, I just don't even know what to say to you. Sure. Like this is what's so cool about repetitive prayer is you don't have to say something. You could say the Mm -hmm. same thing and God knows like what's in your heart. Sure. Like, you know, the verse where it says like the spirit um, is like praying for you. Yeah. Knows exactly what you need and is interceding for you. Right. And I think like that's so true is that like sometimes we just don't have words Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Like, I think that's just how we are. But that's what's so cool about repetitive prayer is that you have, like, these prayers that you can always say. And then since your mind knows them, it becomes muscle memory. And you can think about, like, meditating on, you know, different things. Cool. That's awesome. I know, I guess there's two things that I would like to go into now that we kind of have an understanding of what the rosary is. Um, the first one is I think it's definitely worth talking about Mary a little bit um, because, you know, if you're, I think this is probably like maybe the main like gripe that evangelicals have with, with Catholics is the, the Mary stuff. Um, 
And I guess maybe like I'll start with just kind of saying like what, what my understanding is a little bit and how it's like changed a little bit. So if you think of like the, I don't know, I don't really love talking about the Reformation in general, but, but I guess if you think about the Reformation, uh, well, I get there's, there's two instances of breaking away from the Catholic Church in, in tradition. You have first like the Greek Orthodox. So like, I think they call that the great rift, I want to say, mm-hmm. when you have Eastern and Western uh, split there. Um, and Greek Orthodox people still uh, talk about Mary quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It's not quite... I don't think in Greek Orthodox tradition, Mary is as elevated as she is in the Catholic tradition, but they still talk about Mary a whole lot more than evangelicals do. Um, Then you fast forward a couple hundred years and you get to the Reformation where um, the, the Reformed traditions break off from the Catholic Church and they become a lot, a lot different than, than the Catholic Church, I would say in practice. Um, and uh, so, and that splits off and it starts all kinds of different other branches, right? Leading up to um, one of those branches being evangelicalism, which their whole thing is essentially like solo scriptura is mm-hmm. like only, only the Bible. Um, and then if you continue from that, a piece of, of the, um, the Reformation reaches America and in America, there's this split from the Puritans that becomes the Anabaptist tradition, which later splinters into a lot more Baptist traditions as well, which is what you and I were raised in. So we're like the reform from the reform from the reform. <laughs> um, so it's like so far away, right? And each each one of those seems to be like at every stage of that process, there's like another knee jerk against whatever you're reforming from, right? Because if you're coming out of something, odds are you're going to do things that like make you very distinct. Um, and some of those things may be sanctified by scripture and some of them may not be. Um, but one of the things that I feel is too downplayed in evangelicalism actually are probably like the two gripes of the Catholic Church, which is the Eucharist and, and Mary, because um, I, th- I think that as a knee jerk, we've gotten so far away from where the Catholics are on those issues that we have downplayed their significance and importance. Weirdly enough, baptism is like still a big deal. Um, but that's, that's because part of the reforming was like post, um, post conversion baptism instead of infant baptism. Mm -hmm. And so, and then of course, like being named a Baptist, like you kind of have to think that baptism is like a big deal right <laughs> so so i feel like that one kind of like remained to be although we're now at this point we're not even really baptist anymore um uh but uh but but yeah so so we've gotten there so in regards to mary one of the things that i've been thinking about lately is how little i've heard presented on mary um and how few times we stop and realize how big of a deal like what mary's response was to god mm-hmm. um that was, it's so huge. Like the fact that, the fact that an angel comes, like you said, is probably frightening for this young girl. Mary says, Hey, you're, you're, you're pregnant with the Messiah. And you know, she's, she's, she never did anything wrong. Now for the rest of her pregnancy, she's going to be looked at sideways. Um, because, because, you know, obviously it's, it's not like, it's a big deal if you're pregnant out of wedlock back in that time. Right. Um, I'm going to be looked at sideways. Her relationship may fall apart, um, like all this stuff. And then her response to God is, um, you know, I, I am your vessel, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm your handmaiden, I'm your slave, whatever it is that you want from me, I will do. And if you go through the pages of scripture and look at the different people whom God uses throughout, it's tough to find a more willing vessel for the Lord in, in all of scripture up to that point, you know, uh, many of these people are, are not, not good people. They're kind of like, you know, kicking and dragging their feet and following Yahweh. And then Mary comes on the scene as the opening of the new Testament as this like totally willing and submissive example of what it means to follow Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And as a Christian, I think probably Mary um, and maybe a couple others is one of, if not the, archetype of what it means to follow God. 
And I think we should do a better job at, at talking about that as evangelicals, right? I'm definitely not into the, the, you know, some of the Catholic Marian theology, but, but I definitely, I, I think it's important to note that we should affirm the willingness of Mary and, and that story is so powerful and we should be talking about it. But I think as a knee jerk, we don't, we don't talk about it because we don't, you know, we don't want to be, be too like Catholic about it. Right. With air, air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's to our, um, to our demise sometimes, because I think that story is so powerful and you know, it's Advent season. It's a wonderful story and you should read it. It's good. Yeah, absolutely. You just gave me a little goosebumps talking about it. I, I absolutely agree. I think, um, that was one of the big, like the hardest things that I had to get over because, it was so it was so difficult because we're taught like Mary like I have heard so often Mary is nothing and it like breaks my heart hearing that now because like an angel came to her and said blessed are you among women like out of anybody like God, God is God he knows everybody that's going to be born on this earth and he chose her to bear his son like does that not say that she is so much more blessed than any of us she was chosen and yes we are chosen by god for different plans but she was above all women and the angel said that among all women are you blessed Mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of people just get a little uncomfortable by that because they're like oh you know jesus is obviously the savior god is god the holy spirit you know came and these are all clearly in scripture but to me it's also clearly in scripture that she was blessed among women. Mm -hmm. You know, it says that multiple times all throughout scripture. And even when she does her praise to God, like you said, she says, use me as a vessel. Like Mm -hmm. who would say that? You know, 14 year old girl, who knows how old she was? My guess is around that age. Like what 14 year old girl would say that? Like I know when I was 14, I was not thinking about anything like that. I couldn't imagine, you know, having a baby at that age especially when you have your whole life figured out, like a good life that she had figured out by marrying Joseph. Um, And then your life is completely changed forever. And she's just immediately is like, use me as a vessel. And then she says, all generations will know me as blessed. Mm -hmm. And I love that phrase because even today, she's the blessed Virgin Mary. Like that's how we know her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it is a it is a beautiful story. And I think there's more to it than sometimes people give give credit to. Um, And I do think you're right that there's some scripture allusions to um, Mm -hmm. to to Mary. So would the Catholic Church say that that's why Jesus was born at the time that he was born was because Mary was around at that time? I I would guess so. I mean, I'm not 100 percent sure exactly. Like, what is the main reason? But I would guess, like, I think that she was chosen for that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, when she was born, like, Jeremiah 1, 5, everybody quotes this. But, you know, when she was in her mother's womb, he knew that she was going to be Jesus' mother. I don't think it was, like, a random choice at a random time. Like, God knows everything that's going to happen on this earth. There's a reason why he chose that time. There's a reason why he chose Mary. Sure. You know, so I think... Everything is specifically purpose, especially that story. Yeah, yeah. You know? I think where I'm at on that, because I, I was thinking about this with um, with Paul's conversion as well. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody that really believes that, um, like, I'm definitely not like a heavy, heavily like predestination guy. And I think that there's a lot like God's default way of working with people is mostly to let human beings do their thing mm-hmm. and respond in ways that they would respond um and uh i th- but certainly he has the power to you know usurp will and, and we see that in the in the scripture as well but i think in general he kind of lets us choose our own path in following him right but in scripture there are exceptions to that and you think of like abraham and how god chose abraham mm-hmm. um you know, that was, that was an intentional choice. Like, yeah, Abraham had to like have faith and respond and, and follow God. Right. But, but there are certain people that are like chosen out by God to be, um, 
to, to do a certain thing at a certain time, right? And so I always think of like Paul with that because Paul is one of those person that like not only was he a neutral character, he was like an enemy of God he was an enemy of Jesus, you know, and then God shows up, Jesus knocks him to the ground and he's got this radical conversion, right? And so this is like a moment where like the divine like intervenes in like a not normal way mm-hmm. is how I like to think of it. And there are certain people that are, that are chosen in that time. And I think in the New Testament, those certain people are often the apostles. So there's, you know, these 12 men in the gospel who are specifically like called to follow God. Uh, you think of like uh, James and John, you think of Peter, Andrew, Paul, you know, all those people like Jesus showed up and said like, you follow me, right? And um, we're under the assumption that that's like special in some way. But one of the things that we don't think about is that there was actually also this band of, in addition to the 12 men, there was this band of women who followed Jesus and who were called just like the guys were. Mm-hmm. And if I, if I were to, if somebody was like, hey, what, what do you think Mary is in the New Testament? I'd probably say Mary is an apostle. That's mm-hmm. probably what I would say. Um, and I would also say that Mary, the other Mary is too. And probably Martha as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but not, you know, obviously not everybody is in that, uh, it persuaded in that way. But I, that's kind of become like my default way of thinking where it's like, yeah, she was like really important. And like I said, also like a really great example for um, Christians who are trying to follow God. But I also think that she probably had some r- real significance in the ministry of Jesus, not the least of which being, you know, his mother. Yeah. Um, but we actually see her like, following Jesus around and at the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, one oh, of the yes. few apostles at the cross, in fact. Yeah. Like almost none of Jesus's people stuck around for the cross, but Mary did. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on with Mary in the New Testament that I think, um, I think uh, if, if evangelicals would stop reacting against the, the, Catholic, the Catholic ideas that they don't believe in, uh, some really good theological work actually I think could be done on, on Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely, too, like you said, as well, um, like Mary being an apostle, I actually view it as like the apostles look to her, like as their mother as well. Like, that's kind of how I view it. Because like you said, they're away from like their family, they like rejected their past life. Sure. Like, and whenever you go somewhere, I don't know if you've had this experience as well. But whenever you go somewhere, there's always someone that's there that's kind of like your guide, like as a mother. And I view her as that for the disciples. Interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. And we see, obviously, ultimately, you know, the interaction on the cross where John is told to take care of Mary and stuff. Yeah. And she really becomes like John's mother, for right. sure, at least, at least in that. Right. Well, the Catholics view that a little bit differently. Oh, really? So that's actually um, the phrase that we look at, the scripture that we look at as confirmation that to the disciple whom I love. Obviously, we know that as John. Sure. But we also view it as the disciple, like he's talking to us, the ones that oh, okay. he loves. And he's saying to us, like, this is your mother. Interesting. So in that moment, the Catholics would say that uh, that is sort of when Mary is, like, pronounced as, like, Mother Mary. Yes. That's, like, her her coronation, so to speak. Right. That's when we believe that that is when Jesus says, this is your mother. That's super interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I think there's a lot to learn. And if people are, you know, if you're reading the Bible and you're struck by how how Mary is talked about in the Bible, it's probably worth studying a little bit about um, what different traditions say about Mary mm-hmm. and, and where that where that's at. And unfortunately, like I said, I don't know of like a an evangelical treatise on mary because so many people will just sort of like push it down and push it away you know but i also feel like we do a lot of elevation of like paul <laughs> like a lot yes like constantly uh which is interesting um but uh but yeah i think there's uh, I, I was listening to a podcast with somebody who was greek orthodox and they were asked the question what's what's the deal with mary and they just said there's something about her <laughs> I agree with that. There's something about her. Yeah. There is. There is something about her. And that's so true because like 
nobody denies the importance of her. I mean, p- some people say, like, she's nothing. She's not. But, sure. like, nobody denies that, like, she didn't have some kind of importance in the story. Like, sure. she was Jesus's mother. Like, she raised Jesus. Yeah. Like, think about how we view our mother. She raised us, you know? like. Sure. Like, that's still a, a significant role in our lives. Right. Like, I wonder, like, what that interaction was. Like, when did Jesus know that he was Jesus? Did Mary have to tell Jesus that he was Jesus? Right. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me neither. I mean, we, we uh, certainly at this time in the Advent season, it's a good time to reflect on things like that. And just, you know, this is the one time where I think all Christians in the world are thinking about you know, the nativity, the, the Christmas story, whatever you want to call it. And it's a good time to be thinking about Mary and what's, what's her role. And of course the others too. And Joseph, this, this, uh, this year in our Advent season, we're focusing on the, the angels talking about like the different messages that the angels gave and how the divine hand was on this whole story mm-hmm. and in, how they, how they interacted with everybody. And so we'll be talking about Gabriel's visit to Mary, um, and uh, that's that's coming up soon at Pond Hill. So very cool. What I want to do now is just talk about the the practical nature of the rosary and how it enhances our prayer. And you said in the beginning that sort of the goal of like creative fullness is stuff that like pushes you to prayer. And so talk to me about just some like really practical stuff about um, what's what's helpful about the rosary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something I like per- just personally find really helpful is um, like like I said earlier, I'm a crisis counselor. I deal with a lot of stress, um, a lot of angry people, and so it can be really tough on just day to day life. Um, and I hang like my rosary right next to my computer, so whenever I'm like frustrated or something you know happens that's terrible, which unfortunately happens pretty often at my work. Um, great things happen too, <laughs> but when those terrible things happen, you know, sometimes they, they leave a little mark on us and we just need to come to God and kind of give it to God. Yeah. And one of the ways I do that is just, I immediately like take it up and I like hold it. Sometimes just holding something in your hands, like is really like helpful. Right. And I'll start to pray the rosary and just focus on like Jesus, you know, and remind myself like, oh, Jesus died for that person. Right. You know, just as much as he died for me, he died for that person too. And so I'll focus on Jesus's life, maybe even how he would have responded to these people. Yeah. So that personally helps me a lot. Um, also, just like I hang rosaries everywhere in the house. Like you were at my house today, you probably saw them. Yeah. Um, and that's just as a reminder, like to consistently be praying. Like we talked about Paul. Paul always says pray without ceasing. Sure. And like, I believe that like about like everything like yes we can pray um about you know our day and if we have the words to say of course 100 percent pray i'm not saying do repetitive prayer even when you know what to say sure um but that can be added you know with the rosary as well sure you can say like like a lot of times i'll pray for suicidal people because i deal with them on a daily basis Mm -hmm. so i will like focus on that while i do the hail marys and then add in you know whatever i feel like there's not really like a lot of people like to say that catholicism is like so traditional you can't add things that you want to add but you can like you can pray hail mary and add whatever you want to add to it and it honestly like feels different yeah when i do that in my experience at least so that's what helps me is just kind of hanging it as a reminder of just always praying. Praying the rosary has given me clarity on how to talk about Mother Mary, mm-hmm. especially to like our family, um, just because it's it's a hard topic. Sure. It's hard for a lot of people to, like a lot of people get really offended, especially by Mother Mary. And it's like, it's uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, but I, it has helped me like phrase things. Like, as I said, I'm a new Catholic, you know, there's so many things that like, I like have a conviction about, Sure. but sometimes when you have a conviction, it's hard to like put it into words. And so like even praying the rosary has kind of given me clarity on how to communicate and like say how I feel about like Mother Mary, you know, what I believe she is. And that has helped a lot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and like we were talking about the mysteries going around, I mean, you're essentially um you're essentially learning 
what we might call orthodoxy going around that where, you know, beginning with the Apostles' Creed and then going around the gospel story, mm-hmm. um, there may be like a flavor to the orthodoxy that's Catholic, right? A Catholic flavor to it. But I mean, it, like I said, it, everything that you said that it you're supposed to be meditating on is just the scripture that's pretty evergreen mm-hmm. going throughout. Like, like we may disagree about like what exactly the Eucharist is or, or how exactly you're supposed to go about practicing baptism and stuff like that. But, but, um, all of those things are, are, they're present in, in the gospel. And, uh, it does seem like, yeah, it would be helpful as for communication, but also just for learning. Like, like you said, you're new at, um, being Catholic. So you're, you're kind of learning, how to think about things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think like a huge thing too is like we're when we pray, it's a, like a spiritual worship, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like, um, like obviously words are like we're speaking and things like that. Like that's something that's like we can hear and understand, but there's something special about like actually having something, holding something mm-hmm. that like brings me personal comfort because yeah, it's a spiritual action, but sometimes when I like hold a rosary, it's almost like I can feel like God's presence more than if I'm just like sitting and praying. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's actually a big thing too that I think we lose sometimes. And so there's a distinction that you make between like high church and low church and Catholic uh, church would definitely be like what's referred to as high church where you walk in and it's just very like, I, the best way I can describe it is just like churchy. Yeah. You know, like there's like incense, there's icons, there's, you know, artwork, there's like a certain kind of music um, that's very different from the music you might hear normally. There's like tended gardens and like all this stuff that's all supposed to be like it. I think at its best, it's supposed to be enhancing your worship and getting you into like a space where you're ready to be in the presence of God. Right. And then on the, on the other side of that is like a low church and our church is like super low church where it's like you come in, you like, you wear whatever you want to wear. It's like very conversational. Um, it's not seen as like a performance. There's no like rituals. Like even if we go to take the Lord's supper, like we may take the Lord's supper different ways of like, like, you know, we could do it three times in a row and do it differently those three times and all that stuff. And so it's very low. It's like more, much more relaxed. Um, but there is something about, you know, walking into a church and like smelling incense and having your senses, um, yeah, all your different senses uh, be brought into the worship experience. Mm-hmm. And I think there is something to that, you know, and and people talk about that, like even in the business world and stuff, like there's certain colors that make you want to spend money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's certain, there's certain smells that like draw you in and certain ones that don't. And there's... Um, like if you can, if you could put a product in like someone's hands, it makes them like want to buy it more because they're holding it, you know, and that's like a sales thing that I know about from just doing business too. Um, and so there really is like a psychological, um, there's a psychological enhancement that happens when there's something in your hands. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, and it does make it different. And I think, you know, again, in like reacting against some of the, I would say disadvantages of like a high church. Um, you, some of the things that we throw out actually have validity to them, mm-hmm. you know? And I always think about that with incense. I like incense a lot. I like, I like incense fairly frequently at home. Um, and uh, that's, that's one that, that I think of, you know, me personally, I'm less moved by the, yeah, the the more like ritualistic things where you're like watching, like for instance, when the when a priest goes and does the Eucharist, there's certain like hand motions and mm-hmm. you know different ways that they move that around. Like for me, that doesn't really doesn't really do it for me, you know. Um, but for someone else, that like visual, the thing that they see every single time they take the Eucharist, right? That might be something that helps them, you know, journey into the presence of God and appreciate that in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, so whenever I think of like high church and low church stuff, I always am like, I feel like that's very much a preference. Um, And there are high churches that are evangelical too. You might think of like Anglican um, context as being like high church evangelical maybe. Um, But there's a lot of different ways to do church. And sometimes, sometimes you actually might pull in 
a piece that doesn't fit inside your tradition. Like I mentioned the incense thing, like that's not something that, um, you know, a, a Baptist ish person would normally embrace. Like no, no, I don't think there's, I mean, I'm, there, I'm sure there is one out there, but I bet, you know, the vast majority of Baptist churches are not lighting incense during their service to um, have your sense of smell usher you into the presence of God. Like that's not something that, the, that, that Mike tradition is going to do, but at the same time, uh, it's something that I do and that I've sort of incorporated sometimes into uh, worship. Um, repetitive singing, for instance, is another thing that's like, that's not, it's more of like a charismatic evangelical thing where you're, you're just repeating the same phrase over and over again. But that's another thing that like I pull in, not really in congregational context, but like in my, in my own um, worship at home sometimes we'll just sing the same line for like 10 minutes and you know, that's kind of similar to what you're talking about and so so the rosary could it maybe even be something that that's the kind of role that it seems to play in 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 your life as you're describing it mm-hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely and there it was such a transition you know coming from this church to catholic church like that was such a transition um, and there was kind of like like a little bit of like a mourning period, I feel like, um, because I was so used to like, you know, contemporary music. Like I miss, I still do, like I'll still say like I miss contemporary music. Um, but like at the end of the day, I became Catholic because I believe in the Eucharist. You know, I believe that Jesus is the true presence. And so I want to, like in everything I do, like I go to church every day too. Like I go to church every day to receive the Eucharist because I feel like that is the best way that I can be as intimate with God possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think sometimes we have like a whole, like we get handed like a whole like box that has to include like certain things. And that's what I think about a lot when people, you know, describe themselves and they're like, well, what do you believe? And it's like, well, I'm Catholic or like I'm Baptist or like something like that. And it's, and it's almost like there's this box that you're putting yourself in to say like, I believe this, 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 and this. Um, and, uh, I, I actually don't even refer to myself as a Christian anymore. Most of the time when people ask me what I believe, I usually refer to myself as a Jesus follower. My, in fact, my Reddit thing, this is like, so not important, but but I'm part of like a Christian Reddit uh, community where people like ask questions about the Bible or about certain things. And um, in that community, you can kind of tag yourself. And I had to create like a new tag because um, all of them are like atheist or Catholic or Greek Orthodox or Baptist or all those things. And I was like, I don't want to be known as any of these. Like, so I created a new one and it's just Jesus follower. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, I don't love I don't love the boxes, you know. Mm. Um, and maybe that's maybe that's uh, a me thing, you know. But what do you think, like with reference to the rosary in particular, how in how um, wrapped into the Catholic box is that the rosary? Yeah. Um, like how important is that? Yeah, yeah. Like, is it something every Catholic person is expected to do? So it's not like, I wouldn't say, so there are things like, um, in the Catholic faith that are like mandatory. Sure. Um, which those are like going to church on Christmas, going to church on Easter. Sure. Um, and basically if you don't do those, you have to like go to confession. Okay. Um, and get penance. Got it. Uh, which we don't have to go into because I know that's a lot. So sure, we won't sure, go sure. into that. That's yeah, for yeah. another day. <laughs> no, it makes sense. But it's seen as something that's like contrary to the yes, Catholic faith if you exactly. don't do those things. Yeah. The rosary is an important practice, but it's not like a mandation. So like if you don't do your rosary, like... It's not seen as like sinful. No, it's not seen as like, oh, you need to go to confession now. Sure. And like sure. most of the time, the reason why people go to confession is they can't like be in the present, like they can't receive the presence of God. They can't receive the Eucharist. Got it. So Got like it. oftentimes penance would be like, I don't know, say you miss church um, on like Christmas yeah. and you go to confession, you know, the priest may say your penance is to do the rosary. Got it. Got um, it. And basically like once you do the rosary you can have the Eucharist. Cool, cool. Okay, so that's that. Now the converse question, how, so let's say you're somebody that you might want to do the rosary, but you don't want the other pieces of Catholicism. How intrinsic is the box of Catholicism to just the practice of the rosary? 
Oh, I think everybody should do the rosary. Like, if you think about it, like, there are people that still do beads and prayer, like Buddhist. Yeah. Like, you know, you'll see they're wearing it. Mm -hmm. I think, in general, it's good to do the rosary because it's a reflection of Jesus. Sure. So any Christian religion that believes in Jesus, most all Christian religions believe in Jesus, I'm saying, right? Most. I mean. Not Jewish, but they're not Christian, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, Messianic Jewish would believe in Jesus as yeah, well. Yeah, that's true. Messianic. I'm sure that there are some people that would call themselves Christians but somehow not believe in Jesus. I'm sure that exists somewhere. Okay, let's but... see. The people that believe in Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus disciples. <laughs> Jesus yeah. followers, right, like right. you said. Yeah. Um, Jesus followers, like, reflecting on Jesus's, like, birth, death, resurrection, baptism, the Eucharist, these are all good things to reflect on as Jesus followers. Right. You know, so that I don't think it's very like controversial for you to like have a rosary if you're not, um, if you're not Catholic necessarily. Yeah, if you're not Catholic, but the issue is, is that like we were talking about the boxes. There, when you say that you're Catholic, when you have a rosary, yeah. there's so much like connotation that comes with that. Yes, right. There's like rich tradition that's kind of wrapped up in what you're doing. Yeah. So like, like say you had a rosary. Say I made you a rosary. Right. Like I think. If people saw it, they would be like confused. Right, right. They might think that you're embracing like the whole box. Like we yeah, were about. but there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with like taking. I, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with like taking practices that are about Jesus. Like it's all worship. Yeah, that's my I, viewpoint. I, I, I think I agree with that. I, I, yeah, I do think I agree with that. So long as it's not contrary to like i think you need uh you need something to like measure it against you know and there's lots of passages in the bible where they talk about like prophets and they say like hey if a prophet is not saying that stuff that's in line with what the bible says then obviously they're not a real prophet like we just went through galatians in our church and there's a lot of like like most of the new testament letters are written to counteract false teaching so clearly there's like some kind of standard somewhere. So I would say like if you, as long as it's not like contrary to what you think of as your standard, then I think it can be compatible with your form of following Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I say that is because, you know, as evangelicals, if you are like solo scriptura or whatever, um, then obviously as long as something's not contrary to the Bible, then I think it's a safe a safe practice for an yeah. evangelical and then for Catholics, that would be expanded to the Bible and church tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so those would be your your um, your standards that you're measuring against. So if you were to practice, you know, if you were to grab, say, like contemporary music, like you mentioned, and it's like, is there anything that contradicts the Bible in that, or you know, whatever church tradition is deemed to be um, uh, authoritative? Mm-hmm. Well. I mean, I don't know of any, so that would be, that would, you know, that would be like a, cr- a cross example there. So Yeah, and there are some like Catholic churches that do contemporary songs. So it's it's really all dependent upon like what your priest, because your priest does have some authority. Right. You know, just like um, dad has some authority in the church too, like to decide what music. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. That's kind of the whole point of being part of a local church is to help like shape and, and, guide your walk with jesus and um it's supposed to be a corporate walk with jesus anyway so so that's kind of the whole point of the local church anyway which i which i think is a i think that's a good that's a really good note um is just to yeah do stuff in community with other people and um i'm sure that that's something that's talked about a lot in catholicism especially because that's kind of the whole point is that it's Mm -hmm. supposed to be like a really unified uh church worldwide church yeah so that's what Catholic means, unity. Right. Kind of like unison. Yeah. Shout right. out to unison. True. But it, that's what's so cool, you know, about Catholicism is like you go, if you go to a different church, um, like you're reading the same scripture. Like obviously the homily or the sermon is going to be different, but yeah. you're reading the same scripture. Like everybody in the entire world that is Catholic reads the same exact scripture every single day. Yeah. So there's some kind of like special like unison with that that yes. I really love. Yeah. I think that's cool. Like, I, you know, I, I, I don't practice the rosary right now, but um, I think it's beautiful that at any given moment as you're praying the rosary, there's 
hundreds of thousands of people around the world doing the exact same thing you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's because you're being drawn into the presence of the same God who is big enough to be with you and with somebody that's on the other side of the planet. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's beautiful. So so to me, I think at the very least, we can appreciate the beauty of what what that, what the rosary is doing in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really, it's truly beautiful, like the aspect of like united all together. You know, somebody could be doing the same thing. And that's what's so cool about like a practice and a ritual, even though like I used to view those like words as like nasty words. But now I feel like I have like a realization of, you know, how beautiful it is that like somebody is worshiping similar to you, but Mm -hmm. you know, it could still be different. It's still you. Right. You know, it doesn't take the you out of like the ritual aspect. Like it could still be your own worship, but you're doing the same practice. Yeah. That's really cool. I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. If, uh, if you want to check out the Create and Fullness store, it's on Etsy, right? Yeah. Cool. So we'll make sure we put a link in the description for that. Go on and take a look. They're really, really pretty. I know it's audio, so you can't see, but it's really, really well made. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. I love like the, obviously you could tell I have a heart for like something about United. And I love like how your podcast is like interviewing people of different faith. I think that's like amazing, you know, because we are all united. We're all Jesus followers. So at the base, we all believe very similar things. So yeah. there's something special about it. Thank you. I appreciate that. I do. I do. I would love to tear down some of the, the boundaries that we put um, in front of each other, especially when we're talking about two people that are for sure following Jesus uh, like we are, even though we believe things that are different, we can still have communion. And, you know, ultimately we're going to be sharing the same eternity and same space for a very long time. So we should probably figure out how to get along. Um, and also in our getting along, that's Jesus' plan for bringing the world to him anyway, is uh, through our love for one another, that uh, Jesus was revealing himself to those people that are still outside of the faith. And so I hope that um, this kind of stuff is a good opportunity for people as they listen to really get a good look at what it means to be an actual follower of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Cool. Well, we'll see you guys soon. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, I'm excited to uh, for you guys to see some of these uh, some of these rosaries. They're really really nice. And there's other things on the store as well, other than rosaries too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's stickers there. I think right now all I have is stickers and rosaries up there, but we're making the little sneak peek. We're gonna do signs soon. Okay, cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, definitely go into the description and click the link and see what's uh, see what's going on. You could even skip the rest of this podcast to do so. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Unison Church Podcast. If you're a Christ follower, I hope this has encouraged you to grow closer, not only to him, but also to his family. May we unite in our allegiance to him and raise our voices together to worship Yahweh. If you're not a Christ follower, I hope that this has represented Christ well to you. May this spark your curiosity towards Jesus and his people. In any case, I hope you'll connect with us again here on the podcast and share it with a friend. You can find links in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to us through other ways as well. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to being with you again soon.